I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. We're primarily going to be focused on the verses 19 through 21, but I'd like to read it kind of in context, and we'll be focusing on the flesh this morning. And when I mention the flesh, I'm not talking about just the skin on your body. I'm talking about our carnal attitudes on how we live and cope and manage life outside of having faith in Christ. How we deal with life as life comes at us, how we handle life. And we have been programmed, and some of us are really skilled in managing life outside of Christ, independent from our walk in the Spirit. And we've, we've done that for so many years. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, gossip, manipulation, bitterness, anger, grudge holding, passive aggressiveness, overt aggressiveness. We have it down. We know how to climb ladders at work. We know how to keep people at bay. We know how to, you know, manipulate and make and belittle people. We know how to manage life outside of Christ. And that's called the flesh. And so when we, when we talk about some of these things of the flesh, I'm not thinking of anyone in this room. I'm thinking merely of myself. My own worst enemy is me. And when God shines the spotlight on the flesh, you'll see some of this stuff because no one's exempt. You've all, we all have default modes. Thank you, Adam. We, going back to the garden. We all default back to some way that we've learned to manipulate life to get our needs met, independent of our relationship with waiting on Christ to meet those needs. Right? It's easier just to take matters into your own hands. And some of us are really skilled at that. And so we're going to look at some of these things. Verse 18, but if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, the Mosaic law, but we're not lawless. We're under the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. That's Romans 8.3. Now the works of the flesh are evident, manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is the Greek word pharmakeia, which is where we get our, you know, drugs from. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, which would be, some translations translate revelries as orgies, <laughs> It's pretty much hardcore partying is what that is. All right, I'll just put it in modern day vernacular. Uh, and the like. So he's saying there could be more. And if you read, there's other lists in the Bible. There's one in Revelation. There's one in Ephesians 5. There's, there's other lists. Um, there's some in Corinthians chapter 6. There's other lists. So if you're not on this list, we could find you a spot in another list. Okay? So... Don't think like, oh, I'm not even on this list. You're on some list in here, I promise you. So he says, I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look, this is not a loss of salvation if you get jealous or you have an outburst of wrath or you're selfish. We, none of us would get there, right? What he's talking about is those that aren't saved, this is going to be their characteristics. Those who are saved, this is how we used to live. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and such were some of you, but you are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, and 11. It's not who you are, it's who you were. So we could do these things. And when we do these things, we choose not to walk in the Spirit. And when we go back to these default modes, this is us walking after the flesh. But then he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So we're not going to get into the fruit of the Spirit, but that's where God wants us to be. 
Now, we're going to talk about that at length at another time, but this morning is just going, just going to be dedicated to the flesh. Like looking at our, it's just going to be dedicated to looking at our flesh types, the, the way we cope and manage life outside of our walk with Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray as you shine the light on how we get our needs met when we don't trust in you and how we've just somehow mastered and become skillful in the art of control and manipulation and performance and uh, just all of these things that we lean on as life comes at us and we don't know how to trust in you or we don't believe that you're good or going to meet our needs, we turn to ulterior means. And I pray, Lord, that as you expose some of these things today, that all it would do is not help, not make us feel condemned, but it would just direct us towards walking in Christ and trusting in Christ so that we could get our needs met by walking in the Spirit. What we really need not all these counterfeit ways to live life, but the genuine thing. Life's too short to miss the real thing, Lord, and help us to see that you're good and that we could trust in you and you're faithful and you're not lying to us, but you will give us exactly what we need if we would just put our faith and trust in you. Not for eternal life only, but for daily life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So though the Galatians were becoming more and more religious because, the re because religion uh, focused on the outward performance, the inward life that did not surrender to the life of the Spirit was still gravitating towards flesh patterns. And these Galatians, like most of us, had developed ways to deal with life and to manage the flesh outside of trusting Christ and walking in the Spirit. So these flesh things, behaviors, you might say, these were like coping mechanisms uh, that they've learned and that, that you could identify in your own life. And we'll define these here in a moment. But this is learned behavior on how to manage life and to get our needs met outside of trusting Christ to meet those needs. I could, it's going to be in a slide in the future, but, so just save that slide because you'll recognize this. But I'm going to say it now and then you'll see it again. But the flesh is basically getting legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way, whereas the Spirit is getting legitimate needs met in a legitimate way. What do I mean by that? Hey, look, everyone has a legitimate need to feel loved and accepted and to have worth and value. It's probably one of our biggest needs. And God wants us to get that legitimate need met in a legitimate way. And so when we come to this list of defining all of these um, manifestations of the flesh, I, I don't know if, it, if that's the next slide, Mike. The nature of the flesh. Okay, go again. The flesh defined. Okay, go again. Okay, so here's the list. We read it in Galatians chapter 5. We have this, this need to be loved and accepted. Now, uh, that's a legitimate need, and God has provided, you know, a, a relationships for that or your relationship with God for that, and a counterfeit to that would be adultery, and that's, that's saying, you know what, I, I have this need for intimacy, but I'm not going to get it met in a legitimate way, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands and get it met, that need met in an illegitimate way, which would be the flesh. It's coping. So adultery, as defined, is basically sex outside of marriage. Now, physical, intimate relationships are good in the context of marriage, but when it's out of the context of marriage, it becomes a lust of the flesh, which is called adultery. Fornication, um, like adultery, but fornication is sexual immorality before marriage. It's people that are having sex, not with another married person, or it can be, they're kind, of, they're kind of the same, but it would be like, think about a teenager, or uh, someone having sex before marriage, or they're not waiting to get their needs met the way God intended, so they're going to take matters into their own hands and have this sex outside of the confines of marriage. It's sexual immorality. It could be running around. It could be one-night stands. And if you think about it, 
look, this is not a condemnation towards anyone. All this is when you see someone committing adultery, committing fornication, you know what that is? It's a cry for help. What they're saying is, I want intimacy. I need to feel connected. I need to feel love. I need to feel value. I need to feel worth. I don't know how to get it. So I'll get it using my body. And God's saying, there's another way you could get that that's a legitimate way, the right way. God wants to meet that need for um, intimacy. He wants to be that intimacy need meter, if I could. Uncleanness, kind of, these are kind of sexual sins here in the beginning of the list, but uncleanness is moral impurity. Lewdness is unbridled lust. It would be like lust on steroids, if you will. Idolatry. Basically, this is a substitute. This is putting anything before God. It's to worship or place something in the place or substitute it for God. And I think we do this all the time. I do it. I slide into this all the time. I put things before God. Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And sometimes I don't do that, right? So sorcery, witchcraft, pharmacia, drugs. Already talked about that. And it can be the dark arts or a cult or... I, I remember witnessing to a, a witch one time, and she says, oh, I'm not going to curse you. Don't worry. I sat on her uh, couch, and her cat jumped on my lap, and I got freaked out. <laughs> I went, ah! She's like, ah. She, she was trying to calm me down with, like, good witching, you know? And I said, what's up with... I said, I, what the, just let me know about the cats. And she said, well, I'm a good witch. You know, I have to ask you permission if I could cast a spell on you. The black witches can't. And I thought, oh, okay, whatever. And then you, then you find out Anton LaVey, uh, the high priest of the Church of Satan, said there's no difference between white and black magic. It comes from the same source. He identified it. Yesterday I was in the studio. Um, I was recording a band. Adam was there. Um, I, was re- I do recording on the side, and this band that came into the studio, I was setting up all the mics and everything, and I didn't even know this band, um, which is ironic because three weeks ago I recorded a band called Them Evils. Okay, they kind of fit the name. Yesterday, I was recording a band called uh, The Keys to the Kingdom. And I said, Keys to the Kingdom? And they were playing some of their songs. And I said, are you guys Christian? And they said, oh, yeah, uh, we're Christian. Um, the drummer, he, got, he received the Lord two years ago. And he said, I received the Lord three years ago. And um, though our music's kind of, you know, heavy, we just want to have a message that, that reaches the young people to let them know. And he says, you see these scars? And he had all these holes and I was like, yeah? He said, uh, the Lord saved us out of Satanism. And I went, what? Yeah, it was a really cool testimony. Adam was there uh, helping me in the studio yesterday. But so uh, sorcery, witchcraft, hatred, which is hostility or unresolved anger, uh, contentions. This is, look, this is probably more, you know, this is probably more like where we're at. <laughs> this can be like one that just sneaks in means debate, strife, variance, quarrelsome, jealousy, and envious and contentious rivalry, indignation of mind. Outburst of wrath means to be inflamed, to be fierce, to have indignation, right? You've, you've seen that, road rage, or you, have you ever experienced it? Or you probably observed it in someone else driving by you, not necessarily in your car, but someone else's. Selfish ambitions, means disunion, division, sedition, factitious. A lot of these things are just kind of like, if you think about the flesh, how it just wants its own way. It wants to kind of govern its own area. It wants to be the Lord over its own kingdom. It's just my way or the highway type of thing. And to protect itself, it will talk smack about someone or, you know, it will gossip about this person. It will cause division here. It's so insecure, the flesh, that it will try to bring other people down to elevate itself. It'll climb at any cost, the flesh. Dissensions, divisiveness, dissent, discord, conflict, strife. And who wants to go to a church like that? You, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Amen? You know how it is. You go to some family. I, we went, and I hadn't seen my cousins in a while, or one cousin I hadn't seen in a while, um, because they committed adultery, and they got divorced a long time ago. But the one that committed adultery uh, and my other cousin, they came to the same house because they had kids and grandkids there. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, how's this going to (laughs) go? 
but it was okay. It was okay. But you could see how the flesh, it just causes just strife and problems and divisions. And I hope you had a good time. We had a wonderful time at Thanksgiving. It was such a blessed time to be with friends and family uh, that we had never seen and ones that, we, that uh, I had never met before because they were um, through marriage. Um, heresies, envy, which is basically, or heresies is uh, apostasy, a body of men following their own tenets, uh, starting different sects, S-E-C-T, or parties uh, within you know, a body of believers, heresies, contrary to the truth trying to draw men or disciples after themselves. Envy means ill will, jealousy, a covetous desire, uh, and or a disapproval of another person. You ever hate it when someone else gets blessed and you don't? <laughs> Murders means to slaughter, manslaughter, to slaughter. But remember Jesus said, if you hate someone without a cause, you've already committed murder in your heart. You know what I think he's saying? If you're in a desert island and no one was around you, get, get away with it, you'd totally kill that person, right? <laughs> but you, because of the consequences, you're like, ah, I want to kill that dude, but I ain't going to do it because I don't want to go to prison. But if there was no prison and there was a desert island situation, Jesus knows your heart. He's like, you're, you would do it, totally, right? Just like he says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Same kind of thing, because it's in your heart. And so, Drunkenness, this means to become intoxicated to the point of the loss of control. Or uh, Remember in Ephesians, it said, don't be drunk with wine, whereas in excess, excessive drinking, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't allow alcohol to control you. Allow the Spirit to control you. Revelries, uh, nocturnal carousing, partying, leading to immorality. Sound familiar? Look, you might say, I, Neil, I'm too old. Uh, I... My college days are way back in the rearview mirror. This party scene doesn't apply to me. Okay, cool. All right. Does something else? You know, <laughs> we could find other lists because we're all we're all on here somewhere. And what I'd like to do is, even if you're not on this list or another list, I think you'll identify with something of this next point. And what I'm calling the flesh basically is the I life. You know, in John chapter six and verse sixty-three, it's not on the verse or on the screen. But the, Jesus says, um, oh, what does he say? The flesh, the flesh profits nothing. It's the, ah, someone read it, please. John 6, 63. But he says the flesh profits nothing. And the point that I want to make is this I life, if you'll go to the next slide, Michael, this I life, the flesh defined, I'm calling it the I life because if you go to the next slide, all of these manifestations of the flesh has a source. And I think what a, a lot of the times we do is like, okay, I was, I'm envious. So we, we try to cut off the arm of envy. Okay, I've been this way or I've been that way. And we deal with these things in their plural form. But what I want to do is go to the root. Let's figure out where this is coming from. Because we all have it in some way or another. And there's not, maybe some are more destructive to relationships than others. I get it. Um, but we all have it. And it's this whole idea of sin. And sin singular, not sins like lying, cheating, stealing. Not sins singular or plural. Sin singular because at the root of the I life, I'm going to get my needs met. I'm going to do it my way. I, 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 at the root of it all is the, is the belief that God cannot meet my needs, so I need to take matters into my own hands. And then it could manifest in lying. You could get your way through lying. It could manifest in cheating. You ever, you ever leave work early but still get paid for it? It could manifest in so many different ways. It's this I life. So rather than dealing with all of the little the isms of the flesh or the, uh, the manifestations, it goes right back to this. You just and I don't believe that God could meet my needs. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to walk after the flesh and not in the spirit. And that's what we do. It's called an independent life. The opposite of a dependent life, which is exactly 
how Jesus lived, and that's exactly what walking in the Spirit looks like. Not my will, but thy will be done. Because if we're surrendered to walking in the Spirit, what do you think the life of the Spirit living through the life of the Christian looks like? Does it look like the manifestation of the flesh? I think if you're getting your needs met from the Spirit and you're feeling the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the meekness, the kindness, the self-control, the faithfulness, if you're getting all those needs met in the Spirit, I don't think you're going to take matters into your own hands. So let's go to the next slide. I already said this, but the flesh is getting legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way. It's this I life. It's this independent life. It's like, I don't think God's good enough, so I'm going to do it myself. So this is when we live independent in our own strength, our own actions, and our own attitudes. This is the flesh. It could be good-looking or it can be uh, bad-looking flesh. Either way, it's an independent life. It could be a self-promoting life. It could just be a performance-oriented life. It could be at the bar every night life. It could be good-looking. It could be bad-looking. But if it's independent from walking in the Spirit, flesh is the flesh. And it's the spirit of independence that's at the root of it. So let's define it a little bit more. The flesh, the self-life, is the condition, the mindset, the attitude, the strategy of living where my focus is primarily on myself. Even if it's good-looking self, well-adjusted self, or socially acceptable self, where I'm living out of my own resources, such as my heritage, my education, my IQ, my personality, my sense of humor, my good looks, my talents, my abilities. It doesn't matter. It's the self as the source, which is the problem. That's why it's so tricky. This is why I'm going to spend a lot of time on this in a Sunday, in Sunday evening services. This is the direction we're going in Sunday evening after love and respect. We're going to dig a little bit deeper because there's a lot of slides that I'm just going to highlight and hopefully wet your attitude, or <laughs> wet your attitude, <laughs> wet your appetite to come back and join us in a study on Sunday evenings uh, coming soon. So the flesh is, a is the condition where my focus is primarily on myself, where I'm living out of my own resources in order to, and here, I'm going to give you four things to cope and to deal with life, to solve my own problems, to meet my own needs, and to become my own success. So here's a quote. Uh, I picked this up along the way. The problem with the self-made man or the self-made woman is that they worship its creator, themselves. <laughs> right? The, the self-made person worships its source, itself God identified this through the prophet Isaiah many 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 years ago and he already knew this all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone every one of us everyone no one's exempt to his own way their own way and the Lord he came because he knew we were all no one was seeking the Lord we've all gone astray we've all gone our own way We've all learned to manage life outside of Christ. We were running from God. No one was running to God. No one in this room or in the world was running towards God. We were all born running away from God. And some people figured out, if I run this way, I could manage life by lying and cheating and steal. If I run this way from God, I could manage life by outperforming, outsmarting, outgood-looking, out-sexualizing. It doesn't matter. The sins... The problem is the sin, which is, I don't believe, God, that you're good enough, that if I trust in you and walk in your way and walk in your spirit, that you can meet my needs. So we could run in either, either direction. But every single one under this roof, born in this world, was running from God. They weren't running to God. You, you all agree, right? Do we need verses for that? Because I'm not exempt. I'm in the same category. Uh, you could, just a great chapter to read would be Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Read the whole chapter. So, Jesus never lived this way, though. 
When you think about how Jesus lived, he lived the opposite of how we lived. You see, Jesus wasn't born a sinner. He came fully, he was the fully loaded model. He came born and he had the Holy Spirit. And as such, he wasn't born a sinner. And so he didn't need to get born again. We just sang it. Jesus, Lord at thy birth, right? So Jesus, as he lived his life, Let's look at how he lived his life. Let's check out John really quick. John chapter 5, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, he's having a discussion with the religious self-righteous. Most assuredly, I say to you that the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatsoever he does, the son also does in like manner. And verse 30, same chapter, I can do of myself nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I think the temptation of Christ was such that the the devil knew that he could act independent. And he wanted Jesus to act on his own accord. Turn that, you're hungry, turn the bread into stone. I know you can do it. I know you can do it, just do it. And so Jesus never acted independent. He always acted dependent on the Father, even though he could have acted out of his divinity because he was God, he, he yielded his divinity and walked in his humanity in total dependence on the Father. And he was leaving the perfect example of how we're to live life and to get our needs met. Look, was Jesus without hunger? Was he without uh, pain? And was he without, you know, sweating and tears and agony and anxiety? No, he experienced everything we experience, yet without sin. But he did it with perfect faith and perfect dependence. So I'm not saying like, hey, Jesus had a rosy walk and do what Jesus did and you're just, it's just going to be peachy keen, dude. No, he had a rough road, but he had the best road because he did it not on his own accord, but he did it fully surrendered and dependent on the Father. But see, when we don't think that, that God is good enough, we're going to supply our needs, then we go back to the way that we know how to, to live life. And it could be any of these manifestations of the flesh. Let's take sexual immorality. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm bored. I'm lonely. Uh, I'm going to, you know, go hook up with someone or whatever. I don't know. Uh, or um, I feel, you know, I, I feel materialistic. I have the, the lust. I need some things, but I don't want to work for it. So I'm going to go steal, you know. <laughs> Uh, there's just so many different ways that we think I'm going to get some needs met. And so we take matters into our own hands and we, we don't like God's way to do things because we don't, it's not on our time frame. It seems like God is, he's got the brakes on or he's, he's never going to do what we ask or we don't think that he's really has our best interest in mind. And we're going to look at some illustrated examples of that, some cartoons uh, here in a second. But let's look at some other verses. John 8, then Jesus said unto them, when you lift the Son of Man, lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of myself. But as the Father taught me, I speak these things, and He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always the things that please the Father. What do you think are all the things that please the Father? And I think if Jesus had a life verse, he is the, he is the Bible, by the way. <laughs> but if he had a life verse, this would be a good one. I do always the things that please the Father. What does Hebrews eleven six say? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think what Jesus is saying is he lived a life in total faith. Total faith. And we're called to a life of faith. But when we don't believe God's good, we go after the flesh. And I think we're better at walking after the flesh and we're more familiar with walking after the flesh than we are in the spirit. That's all I'm saying, and we all do it. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I did not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. We may never do what Jesus did, but we can live how Jesus lived, by faith. I'll never walk on water. That'd be kind of cool. Probably never will. Um, I jumped out of a boat one time, going like 40. 
uh, and no, the people in the boat, I used to live on a lake, um, and the people in the boat didn't know. This is when I was a teenager. Um, and I did the scorpion because uh, I, I jumped out of my feet and my head hit because of the, the way the boat worked. And I was like, oh, I didn't have a life jacket on. And they had to turn around. Um, I'd like to be able to walk on water. I'll never do what Jesus <laughs> um, did, but I could live how Jesus lived. And that's by faith. Look at John four, or 15. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can dwell on this verse for the rest of your Christian life. Because from this is going to come the life of the Christian as it abides in the life of Christ. We're branches. We're not, we're not holding ourselves up. We're not producing the sap. We're not, we're not in charge of the rain. We're not in charge of the quality of the soil. We're not in charge of the weather patterns. We're not in charge of anything as a branch. The only thing we are required as a branch is to abide in the vine. And branches get pretty impatient. And branches have their own agendas. And branches have their own ideas of how to... We think as a branch, we could produce fruit a lot faster and a lot better if we just do it X, Y, and Z. You ever think about a, like an imitation fruit factory? Sweat, gears, oil, grinding, and the fruit looks good. You can't eat it. It's plastic. You know, if they're producing fruit that you'd see at model homes and you're going to go walk through a model home and you're like, hey, is that a real apple? Nope. <laughs> just lost your veneers, son. But real fruit is going to take time. And it's not going to be through striving and struggling and straining and and machinery and grinding and just with your own initiative and your own will it's going to take patient abiding and not striving and that's the hardest thing to do as a branch to abide in the vine there's the secret to the christian life i'm not saying that's easy and i'm not saying i have that master but i know i'm saying that's the way i i'm not the way but that's the way right there Secret to the Christian life. Boom. Right there. Okay? That's it. And Jesus wants you to know that. And he wants to encourage you to trust in him, to, to provide the fruit that will come from abiding and walking in his spirit. Well, let's look at the, some biblical origins of the flesh. And to do so, it will take you all the way back to the garden. And in the garden, God said there's a tree it's the tree of death. It has the knowledge of good and evil. There's the tree of life, uh, representative, of course, of what we were just talking about. Christ is the, you know, we abide in him. He is our life. But if you think about the tree of the, good, of the knowledge of the good and evil, um, out of that comes self-sufficiency. It's independence, bondage, law, death. And if you think about the root of the temptation that the devil pitched to, to Eve, you will be like God. And what's, what is the thing about God that's really attractive that no one else has? I know there's a lot of things, but let me kind of boil it down to this. Independence. Does God ask anyone for approval or permission, or does he just act independent? He doesn't report to a board. He doesn't have a boss. He's never going to get fired. He's never going to be sent to the naughty place. God never gets, he's never on restriction. So when the devil said in Isaiah chapter 14, five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will be like God. You, you know what the devil really wanted? To be his own boss, call his own shots, to be independent. So the root of all satanic activity is not like piercing yourself and putting the getting a pentagram tattoo and an upside down cross and 666 and that might be a manifestation of it but at the root of it all is independence at the root of it all satanic attitudes and activity is the i life it's the sin of unbelief it's independence it's saying god i don't believe you're good i got this i'm going to do it on my own you can go to the 
You could go to the evil side of that tree or you could go to the good side of that tree and build yourself a tree fort and an identity and invite people to, over to your club. This is, what most, this is the way most people live. Come to my club. Check out my tree fort. And you could be on the evil side. And in your tree fort, man, you could have a mountain of cocaine, right? You could have, what's, the, what's that new one? The, the, it's 80% of the cartels doing it now. Fentanyl, right? That's how they're making most of their, because it's cheap and easy. And it's, I guess it's, come to my tree fort. I got, I got good fentanyl. It's not the stuff from China that makes you sick. It's the good stuff, right? Come to my tree fort. <laughs> you could say, come to my tree fort. Uh, on this side, I mean, I don't do drugs, and I don't drink, and I don't cuss, and I don't chew, and I don't run with those that do. Come on to my moral side of the, you know, and I'm not saying that that's bad to be moral, but if we're living that outside of the life of Christ with self-righteousness in mind and self-promotion in mind, look, you know the devil comes, and he comes with ministers of righteousness? It's so weird that he uses religion to deceive people. But either way, he'll get you on either the good side or the evil side. But either way, at the bottom, that tree is death. That tree is death. And Jesus wants us to live out of his abundant life, where it's not self-sufficiency, it's Christ-sufficiency. It's dependence on the Father, dependence on the Spirit. We have true freedom because we have our freedom in Christ. Where, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that's when we walk in Him. Uh, we experience grace, not disgrace, like people turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, but the grace of God that comes to teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust so that we might live sober and righteously in this uh, present world. Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12, and where we might experience life as God intended. Well, let's look at some varieties of the flesh. You have USDA choice flesh, right? Plain vanilla flesh and then yucky flesh. Kind of covers the gamut. It'd be USDA would be living on the far right side of the tree of the good of good and evil, right? Plain vanilla, you're kind of in the middle. You could go either way. And yucky is just like you're what's the worst part of Las Vegas, you know, or <laughs> I used to live in Amsterdam and I went to church in the red light district. Literally, there was hookers on one side of where I went to church. I went to church, and then there was a coffee shop. The coffee shop didn't serve coffee. It was just all legalized marijuana. This was way before California legalized it. This is way back in the day where everyone went there because it was known for that. So you could have red light district flesh. You could, you know, you have USDA looking flesh, kind of the middle of the road flesh. I think it's interesting because Paul, if you look at his life, he would be USDA choice flesh. If you look at the Apostle Paul, Saul before he, be, he was named Paul. And when you, when you read some of his like, uh, testimony, if you read Romans chapter 7, look at how many times he uses the word I. I, 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 I. When he uses his testimony in Philippians chapter 3, look at how many times he uses the word flesh when he's talking about how good he was. Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, you know, he, when he compares himself, he uses the word flesh and I, flesh and I. So there's good looking flesh, and you could study the life of the Apostle Paul, and there's plain vanilla flesh. It's kind of like Cornelius, if you remember him in Acts chapter 10. Good guy. You wouldn't say like he was USDA, and you wouldn't say like he went out and, you know, was unfaithful and did the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. Um, so kind of just average of the middle of the road, right? And then there's the icky flesh, which is the one that's so easy to identify. And I think church people are really good at like identifying that one. But we're not so good at identifying maybe the vanilla and the USDA. But all I'm saying is we all have some flavor of some of these varieties are in all of us. And we default to it. And it's hard to identify it when it's our own flesh. And so this is just kind of exposure. And I'm not thinking of anyone, just because I'm covering the, the spectrum. Uh, but I know we, every one of us fall into this. The flesh, I want to look at this. The fle the, some common characteristics of the flesh. And I'm going to speed up a little bit. I don't think we'll get through all of these again, but it, we'll get as far as we can. So some common characteristics of the flesh. The flesh is a controller. Have you noticed that? 
Your attitude when you, when you don't want to yield and trust in Christ, you want to take control, right? Um, I think there might be a cartoon, I'm not sure. Okay, wait, the purpose of control is to keep God from controlling us or getting too close to us. Why? Because we don't trust God or think he's really good or has our best interest in mind. And look at this next slide. I think it's the next one. So this is kind of old, obviously. But there's the, the picture is like the, the, you know, the finger of God and you're like this little ant on this hill and beware of the thump or the flap or whatever it says. You ever feel like that? You know, like God's really not good. He really doesn't have my best interest in mind at any moment. I think there might be another one too. Like, God, could you not afford a Mac? That's a pretty old computer there, God. Um, that must be a Windows. Uh, must be a PC. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's like Ford Chevy talk, right, to the computer people. But if you can't see the picture, God's at his computer. That's a Commodore 64 is what that is. God's at his Commodore 64, and he's about ready to drop the piano on that poor schlub walking down the street, and the piano's going to fall on him, right? And so, and this is just a comical view, but how, look, this is a secular um, taken from the funnies. Remember when there used to be newspapers in the comic section? <laughs> but from the far side, but how many of us, really, that's kind of what we think about God anyways, right? God's really not good. We picture God as like he's just pulling wings off of flies in heaven. He's just like sadistic and he doesn't really have our, I mean, sure, he has to love us and sure, he gave me the free gift of eternal life and I'll go to heaven one day, but I don't really know if he's got my best interest in, in mind until I get there. So I'll default back to my flesh and I'll take matters into my own hands and I'll do all that's on the list or some of it. Are you tracking with the, me on the flesh here? It's so important to identify it because this is an attitude that we default to on a regular daily basis and we're so good at it. But at the root of this whole unbelief, the I life, the sin, the sin of unbelief, the reason we don't really want to walk in the spirit or wait for God to meet our needs is because we really don't think he's good. We really think like he's a killjoy, cosmic killjoy. God doesn't have my best interest in mind. That could be an attitude that we have, right? So the purpose of control, to keep God from controlling us, to keep us from being overwhelmed by circumstances, uh, to protect ourselves from others, to keep our emotions suppressed. And there's so many different ways that we uh, manage all these things. I remember this quote. I think it's on the screen, uh, but I remember this quote from Bible college, and someone said it in chapel, I believe, and they said, faith is without scheming. I know my wife and my kids would probably remember me saying this, but my, I know my wife's heard me say this a lot because we've applied it because we've come into situations where we're like, you know what? Faith is without scheming. We're just going to have to go with God on this. You know when you try to work the angles or you get like desperate or you're, you're like the money's low or whatever and you got, just got to, uh, you know, scramble or whatever? I'm not saying don't do anything or be passive, but I'm saying as you do what you're called to do or what you're capable to do, do it without scheming. Trust, trust that God will meet the needs. Faith. That's how Jesus lived his life. Methods of control. There's a lot of these, so I don't know if we're going to get through these. Let's just go through these as, as quickly as we can, and I won't make a lot of commentary. Some methods of control, critical attitude, body language, right? You could be rolling your eyes, folding your uh, arms. There's a lot of ways that we could say things without saying things, right? Uh, silent treatment, seductive behavior, um, blackmail or intimidation, politics, passivity, that's, you know, we are all passive-aggressive. Ma manipulation, I think, is kind of sums it up. There's a funny slide, this next one. Um, I've been on so many guilt trips, I should get bonus mileage. Right? But we're just masters of manipulation. When we don't think God's good enough, we can manipulate, right? 
law and order, religion. Not that we don't need law and order or anything, but if you've seen bad examples of that where it's just methods of control um, over protection. That's kind of a tricky one because, you know, I'm a parent and I want to protect my kids, but to overprotect to the point where I don't trust God and I have to take matters into my own control. Hostility, I think we could get results by being angry and hostile towards people, you could teach them. <laughs> Yesterday, I was in the studio, and um, I, you're in the control room, and then the band is in another room, and at this particular studio I was working out of, uh, I worked out of there before uh, multiple times, but this one yesterday, it's set up really weird to where you can't see the band through the glass because they're in another they're in another part of the building. Um, there's a lot of rehearsal rooms, and then there's this big, huge uh, recording room where a, a whole band could set up, and really high ceilings. The acoustics are great. It's set up for that, but you can't see them. Um, and so uh, we have to talk through a talk box. You know, you press the button, and the, the head engineer kept saying, will you tune your guitar? Will you tune your guitar? Uh, will you tune your guitar? And I gave the guy a tuner, and uh, he's tuned his guitar. But I told him, I said, hey, you're Pavloving this guy. And I meant like, you know, the Pavlov's experiment with the dog. You know, I'm like, you're training him. I said, watch. He, I said, next time you're going to do that, he's going to say, I've already done it. And he went like this. He said, hey, can you tune your guitar? And he said, I've already done it. <laughs> because they were doing 10 songs. And by the, by, the, by the fourth song, the guy had already figured out. But what I'm saying is like, that wasn't a hostile example, but... You could train people through hostility, right? You come at them, you bark at them, you, you react, and after a while, I mean, you're controlling the people around you because you're, I don't want to get my hand bit off. Okay, you taught me, right? And so the flesh will come up with so many different forms to control the outcome rather than to trust in Christ. Expectations is, is another tricky one in the sense that you have this certain unspoken law of expectations. And when people don't meet it, you treat them conditionally, and you think that by treating them conditionally, you're going to somehow manipulate them and turn them around to meet your expectations. It's a form of control. I'd like to spend a lot of time on all of these because a lot of these could take a lot of time to explain. But as we keep going on, I think there's, I, I, that, might, that might be the last one. Let's do this, Michael. There's a lot of slides left. Um, maybe turn to the slide where it shows the flesh is like an octopus. And then, so... The flesh is like an octopus, and what I mean by this is all the tentacles might be manifestations of the flesh. This might have some pretty sweet animations coming at you. Dang, was that a build-in? Man, someone has <laughs> some PowerPoint skills. This was built like five years ago. But the flesh is the I-life, the self-life. And remember, at the root of it all is I, sin singular. And in the middle of sin is S-I-N, the I life. And it could manifest with, you know, many different, you put your own tentacle on there. But I think the idea is we think that, okay, I get it. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to cut that tentacle off. Well, you know what happens when you cut off an arm of an octopus, right? Don't they just grow back or is that a starfish? But we're not dealing with the root of the problem. The root of the problem is if you're going to kill this thing, you need to go right to the core of it, which is the I life, this, the sin singular, not sins of all the tentacles and dealing with all the tentacles. I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to cut this off, cut that off, cut this, cut this, cut. If we go right to the root of it all, it's the, I it's the sin of unbelief. I don't believe you're good enough, God, so I'm not going to trust in you, so therefore... I'm not going to walk in the spirit, and therefore, I'm going to walk in the flesh, and you don't even know, we don't even know we're doing it, because the flesh is so deceiving, and it tricks us, and before you know it, we've lived so many years, and we've missed what God has intended for us, which is a full, abundant life of walking in the spirit. 
and we've settled for things less than Jesus for too many miles, for too long. And the devil can't take your salvation, but he would love to rob you of everything else. Right? So off we go. We deal with cutting off all of these things. And go to the next slide. This is where we first started. This would be a good kind of bookend. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Uh, Go to the next slide. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. The list goes on. Of which I tell you beforehand, just I also told you in time past, that they which practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But let's look at the slide where it shows the knife in the head. Boom. (laughs) Ow. And let's look at the verse. Because we're going to stay in Galatians. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its lusts. We can do that by simply identifying the I life and by saying, not I, but Christ. Could you go to the very end where it says um, conclusion and solution? Because I don't want to leave you helpless here. I want to talk about the conclusion and the solution. Go to the next one. The solution to the flesh life, even though you're familiar with it and you've done it for so many years and I've done it for so many years and I default to it. It's just, you turn my computer on in the morning, my brain, I get out of bed, default. I got to consciously choose to yield and to trust God that he's going to meet my needs. If I don't, off I go, meeting my own needs and, and managing life in the flesh. I'm really good at it. And you are too. And we all have different versions of it. USDA, vanilla, icky. I could go either side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'd go climb up and down it. I'd go over here in this branch, over here in this branch. I could tap dance on the top. I'm really good at all of it. And so are you. But the solution to all of this is the exchange life. Not I, but Christ. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. If you can remember anything as we're coming, we're going to be done with Galatians in December, but if you could remember anything from the book of Galatians, you're like, I get it now. We're not under the law. We're under the Spirit. Oh, get over it. <laughs> but if you could remember anything, this would be a great thing to remember. Not I, but Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Location, location, location. And the life which I now live, I'm going to heaven, but the life which I now live in, the, in my body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But as I live this life and I'm tempted to take matters into my own hands and to live out of my own resources and to manage my life and to go after the lust of the flesh, I could recall this and say, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. And you have that resource. Everyone in this building has that resource and the equal access to God that that he, Paul had, that I have, everyone in here has same access, same spirit, same God. No one has more, right? Equal opportunity God. So, I say then, Galatians 5.16, and this will be the last verse, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you start thinking about all the tentacles that you're cutting off, like like Christianity is not behavior modification. It's not a flesh improvement program, okay? (laughs) That's not Christianity. Christianity is saying, not I, but Christ. And when we choose to walk in the Spirit, guess what? All of those other things that you think you need to cut off and manage and cut off and manage, and oh man, you're right, I should do, I do do that. Oh, I'm going to cut that off. You're right, I... Here's how, you, here's how you do it. You turn to God and you're turning from the flesh and when you start to walk in the Spirit 
and you start getting your needs met, love, acceptance, worth, value, peace, joy. I'm not even dealing with that stuff anymore. Why? Because God's meeting those needs. Does that make sense? This might be a lot. This might be a foreign concept. Don't take my word. Why don't you test God on this? Not tempt him or test him, but why don't you try it? Why don't you leave here? And when you're tempted to do things the way you've always done it in the flesh, whether it's good-looking flesh or ugly flesh or just vanilla flesh, whatever it is, trigger in your mind Galatians 2.20, not I but Christ, and trigger in your mind Galatians 5.16. Huh, if I walk in the Spirit, I guess I won't be uh, fulfilling the lust of the flesh because I'm getting my needs met by trusting that Christ is sufficient and he will meet those needs. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. If there's someone here with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's someone here that's never received Christ, you're like, man, I, this all sounds good to me, but I've never received Christ, I would encourage you to see me or see someone, and I'd love to share with you how you could receive Christ as a free gift. And if you have received Christ and um, you've noticed some of these flesh patterns in your life, I'd encourage you just to take God up on his word. Say, not I, but Christ. I'm going to walk in the spirit and see if that helps so that I will, I'll experience more victory and less defeat because the flesh, the, the flesh is it's destructive. It doesn't have your best interest in mind. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this wonderful church. I thank you for a great holiday uh, that we had um, individually and collectively. And I pray for this Christmas season, Lord. We know that you're the reason uh, for the season. And um, yeah, Lord, I just I, I thank you for that. And uh, Lord, I just pray as we take communion too that we will be uh, rem reminded of what you've done on our behalf. And I thank you in Jesus' name. So at this time, we're going to um, observe the Lord's Supper. So if the ushers could come forward. I picked a unique verse uh, this morning that I'm going to start with. And then, um, Mass Vic, if you'd thank the Lord for the Lord's uh, body, bread, and um, if you'd thank the Lord, Walt, for uh, the blood, yeah, the, the juice. But I picked a, a unique verse that... I knew it was there, but I've never used it for a communion. Uh, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. And then I'll read the one I normally read it out of the next chapter in 11. But he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so I'm going to read the verses that I normally read. And then we'll pass out the bread and then we'll thank the Lord for his body. And then we'll pass out the cup and thank the Lord for uh, his blood. But in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed by Judas, he took the bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we're going to pass out the bread at this time. You know, God is a spirit, and he's always existed. But there was a point in time where he wanted to put on skin. God came in a body, came like us, as us, to die for us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so when we take communion, this is symbolic of a body that he lived. He didn't have to come and take on flesh. And this is not, this, isn't, this is just a symbol. This doesn't mean that you're actually eating Jesus. But this symbolizes that God came in a body and he, to tie it into the message, he lived perfectly by faith and total dependence on the Spirit. 
as an example. And he says, as you do this, what a great way to do it in remembrance of me, he said. So let's remember how Jesus lived. He lived by faith. When he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, Take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup and he supped, and when they had supped, said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it uh, in remembrance of me. And so what I'd like to say is that God put on skin the Christmas story. He filled that body with precious, spotless, sinless blood. And with that blood, when he died on the cross, innocent, as the lamb without spot, without blemish, as he did do that, he gave us an opportunity to receive a new life and to be absolutely forgiven. Hey, do we walk in the flesh? Yeah, we walk after the flesh. But Jesus died for all those sins, right? And now he's given us his life so he could say, you don't have to anymore. You could choose to walk in the Spirit, right? So as we do this in remembrance and as we thank God for his blood, say, thank you, Lord, even though I've messed up many times that you have forgiven me of all of my sins.